0: welcome to the kenosha city church podcast we live in a very consumeristic society today's message will challenge you to get rid of consumeristic thinking so that you don't consume your church community with negativity and selfishness instead you'll be challenged to love your church community by serving and being generous enjoy the message
1: Uh, the average american consumes 110 pounds of red meat a year. 110 pounds. If you're a veget some of you are getting ready to clap, some of you, uh, you don't like red meat or whatever, okay, so that's well, 110 pounds a year. So that means for those of you that don't eat any, somebody else is eating your portion. Um, coffee. Uh, the average American spends over $1,000 a year on coffee, and I'd believe that. I'd believe that Uh, Well, hopefully not in my life, but uh, I believe that. Uh, We spend over $1,400 a year just in the cost of commuting to our job. So if you have to get up in the year and get your coffee and your commuting, you're spending close to $2,500 a year to wake up and get to your job. Um, They spend $1,900 a year on their cell phones. Um, Get this. Ladies, you can tell me if I'm wrong here. I'm just getting it from Time Magazine, and they could be wrong. They've been wrong about things in the past, right? The average woman will spend, in her lifetime, 15000 to $25,000 on shoes. Is that true? Oh, we're having some ladies here, uh, you know, clap. That's low? <laughs> okay. That's a college education on your feet. All right, so... I thought, well, they'll either clap this or I'll get booed off the stage. I guess it's true then. (laughs) The US and Canada consume 50% of the world's energy while only making up 5%. So we consume a lot of things. Now, listen, consumption's not bad. We have to eat, we have to have clothes. It's not bad to have fun or go on vacation. But in society where we're always hearing about commercials that you need it now, you need to buy it now, buy it on credit, it'll make you happy. If you don't have it now, you're lacking something right now, so get it now. We can buy into this idea that if we don't have that something or if we don't consume that something that we are lacking in something. Listen, when we become all about what we consume, our identity begins to be wrapped up in our consumption. Consumption. And our vision and how we contribute to others' lives will be minimized or even trivialized. Now, let me give you a personal example of my life. Um, I love coffee and I, and, and this was con- I was really convicted about how much people spend on coffee in a year. Uh, I had a real Starbucks problem <laughs> you know like i, I Drank a lot of Starbucks and we were doing our budget. And I'm like, I'm realizing all my free money. We, my wife and I, we give each other free money and, you know, just, hey, spend it however you want. Um, it's not a lot, but I was realizing like my wife would, you know, she would save hers up and she'd get these craft things and my, I'd never have anything. And I realized I'm drinking all my, my free money in coffee. And so I began to just really ponder about do I really need Starbucks? So I'm going to go for a number of reasons, but there's one main reason I'm going to go on a Starbucks fast i'm gonna fast starbucks i'm gonna tell you that first couple days that first couple weeks it was it was awful and so i'm seeing this place in my heart's like it feels like i I didn't put a shirt on or something for the morning you know i feel like incomplete and dressing for the morning because i didn't go to starbucks but as each day and week passed it did get better it did get better but you know one of the things i missed was seeing the people right I realized, oh, there's all these different people I'd see every day, and I don't see them any longer. And then this is what made, I realized something here. The only reason why I saw these people at Starbucks is because we were all consuming something that woke us up in the morning, and might I add, probably a brand that made us feel good, for whatever reason. Whenever you had that Starbucks mug, you just felt like your morning was right. They did did well in their marketing. How does a, a white cup with a green logo make you feel good? But they did it. And I realized my relationships with these people at Starbucks was based on our consumption. Now that is a classic example of when our identity in that moment is in consumption, that our relationships and community will be minimalized and trivialized. So, we need to understand this, that if we're going to talk about community, God's community, it's much deeper than what we experience community in most of our lives. The church is God's unique community. He calls it his bride, his bride. That means he really loves his church. And and one of the awesome things about God's church is its nucleus is in what we believe, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it takes people to agree with that and live together with that reality. That's community. That is the deep community that he wants us to experience, that we can know God together. And this is what has really driven our core value in community. We are not perfect people, but real people being made new we want to be the most hospitable grace-filled community of your week Healthy community flourishes in small groups for everyone to grow deeper in faith and friendships But here's the key and this is what we're gonna talk about this is our main point this morning We will contribute rather than consume And our main point is this this morning. We are contributors not just consumers in the church This idea of consuming can seep into our life, and it has seeped into the life for many churches across this country and across the West, where we come and we view it as just another show you might watch on TV or Netflix. You sit down, you sing, you watch people pray, you watch people preach. That was good. Hopefully you felt good about it, and you leave. Listen, it's good to partake and, and listen. I hope you're all listening this morning. I hope you, you like this sermon this morning. but we weren't just to consume them, but we were to be active participants together as we encounter God. And this is what we see in the book of Acts. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Acts 2, Acts two. Well I'll read starting verse 42, even though we only went through uh, two verses last week, verse 42 and 43, uh, we're going to focus beyond those verses. But I'm going to read the whole passage for you this morning, and we're going to break down uh, from verse 44 onward. And we're going to take a look at community, community that we can take our cues from in the early church, in the book of Acts. Acts 2, 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received with their food glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. We are contributors, not just consumers. And this is what we're saying in the passage this morning. And this leads us to our 1st subpoint. When we ask people to take ownership of the community, number one is healthy community is known for its outrageous giving. Healthy community is known for their outrageous giving. We see this in verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any who had need. Now notice this in verse 44. And all who believed. This is the foundation of what sets the church community apart from any social club, from any other institution in the world, those who believed. That's what marks the church. If we remove this aspect, we cease to be a biblical church. We can be a gathering. We can call ourselves a church. But this is what makes us unique, a church with God's DNA, is belief. This is the hallmark, the object of our faith. You see, Jesus Christ, to follow him in Acts chapter 2 in the time of Acts in the Roman Empire was treason. You were were, uh, at risk of losing your livelihood. You were at risk of of losing uh, your favored status in the community. You were at risk of being imprisoned for believing in Jesus. But they were willing to risk it all, to not only believe but to publicly gather to worship and proclaim his good news so that other people can know Jesus. And they did this because Jesus rose from the dead and he's alive. Do you think this community would risk all this if Jesus was still in the grave? I don't think so. Maybe a few people. Maybe a few people would want attention or something. But that would die out. So you see people that genuinely have seen the risen Christ, and we see people that genuinely believe. Because let me tell you this. When you believe in Jesus, it is like you have seen the risen Christ. Because you know him. You experience him. You've placed your faith in him. It's active. Some people are like, I just wish I could see the risen Christ. If you place your faith in him, you experience and know the risen Christ. Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, we see Paul writing in 1 Corinthians uh, Uh, 15, he says this, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures, and then he appeared to Peter, then the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, that is, they've died, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, and as to the one intimely born, he appeared also to me. In a Roman court, you only need two or three witnesses to to consider if a narrative was valid, okay? If you didn't have two or three witnesses, they wouldn't even even, uh, be like, okay, whatever. But two or three witnesses in a Roman court, there was 500 witnesses to his resurrection, 500. And we have four biblical gospel accounts of the life of Jesus and his death and resurrection. And so we see in Acts chapter 2, Peter is confronted, the the, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, people hear this ruckus, they said, are you guys drunk? They they must have been joyous, praising Jesus, and like, no, we're not drunk, we're praising Jesus, it's nine in the morning, come on. (laughs) And he goes and he gives a knockdown sermon, and this is how he ends it. Acts 2.36, let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. Now here's Peter who just prior was walking on water and sinking because of his lack of faith, who was denying Christ three times and who went back, on the, and who went back fishing, but yet he received the Spirit of God and seen the risen Christ. And he's willing to look at the accusers he was previously afraid of and say, you know what? This is Jesus whom you have crucified. God gives you power to do what he's calling you to do. And it, as a result, Of Peter's obedience, 3,000 people came to Christ. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, this movement would have died out. Sure, there are spiritual human gurus who have lived, but they've died. And the unique thing about Christ is this all the graves of these world gurus or religious leaders, their bones are in the grave. But you go to the grave of Jesus Christ, and it is empty. And that's so peculiar that even we read in Scripture that that the enemies of Christ started circulating a story saying, hey, somebody stole him. The unique nature of Jesus is he's arisen and his grave is empty. And as people believed this, it created a a unique community where people can believe together The Holy Spirit unites the church to be more like him, to do the mission of Jesus that he's asking us to do, to go and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. The Holy Spirit unites us. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave now lives in you to accomplish all what Jesus is accomplishing, who wants you to accomplish. Now, the reason why the church in today's day has been lumped in with so many other dysfunctional organizations In many people's minds is because the church in many situations is not operating in the power of the Holy Spirit or the understanding of what the gospel is the early church knew whom they believed they were expectant in the power of the Holy Spirit they were expectant that God was gonna show up turn up and change people's lives the Holy Spirit united the community to meet together you see christ believing in christ is that glue that's our nucleus of our meeting but the holy spirit's the power the holy spirit is the one who enables us to do what christ is calling us to do and so we see in acts 244 and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need you see the early church was was a, it was outrageous in their giving and the reason why I believe they were outrageous in their giving is because they realized who Jesus was and what he did. Jesus was outrageous in his giving. He gave it Jesus Christ died for us. We had a sin debt so large, we can't pay off our sin. There's no way we can earn our way to heaven. We try, but we can't. But God, being so full of love and mercy, sent Jesus to pay the penalty of our sin, our wrong, and Jesus took that debt in that one instantaneous moment, and he paid it all. And anybody who places their faith in Christ receives that forgiveness. Jesus is outrageous in his giving, and that is what motivates us. That's what motivates us in our giving, to be outrageous in our giving. The people in the early church, they saw the needs of their fellow believers above them just owning their possessions and holding on to it. As believers in the New Testament church, many whom were losing their possessions and wealth many were losing their status and yet the church had each other's back they had each other's back now these verses verse 44 is often cited as a the church should be you know communal the church should be a form of communism i've heard people say that you know communism doesn't work except in the book of acts this wasn't communism um, and, and God isn't telling us to sell our homes today and build a big commune here in Pershing, okay? He's not doing that. And, and here's why. Number one is that we are told in the, New, in the New Testament that our giving is not to be given out of compulsion. That means that we have to give, like, oh, I have to give. Jesus wants us to give with an with a open heart, with a generous heart, with a willing heart. Compulsion is this. For this morning I said, we need to be outrageous in our giving. We need to be contributors and not consumers. And every single one of you can give more. And you need to give more. Because we have so much more to do. Why aren't you doing it? And you know a lot of churches, they, that's the route they go. They try to manipulate and, try to, and they try to shame us or guilt us into doing something that God wants us to do. Listen, that person that's pointing their finger, they realize that, yeah, God wants us to contribute. But there's a wrong way you can go about that. I should never shame, you can't shame someone into the the kingdom of God, and you can't shame somebody into doing something right. They're just trying to get you off their back. You don't want someone who's compliant, you want someone who's transformed. And so we see this, that again, uh, they didn't uh, all get forced to join a commune. Second thing we we notice in verse 46 is that some people still had homes. So again, this wasn't communism where they were selling everything and they lost everything. Some people still had their homes. Rather than seeing the church as a commune, the church should be seen as a willing people who are outrageously generous to one another out of the goodness and free will of their heart. Too often, we don't give, though, because we have a scaredy mindset. You know, we, we think things are going to become scarce. You know, uh, some of you may have lived through the Great Depression. I remember my grandma, she just jarred fruit all the time. My like, grandma, why are you jarring so much fruit? It's like a lot of it she would throw away, but she had that mindset. She remembered when there, there was very little. But we must understand that we will stop giving if we think that we are on the verge of losing everything. Listen, I'm not saying that we shouldn't plan for a rainy day, but don't let the rain, the chance of rain, rain on your generosity. There's a fine line between being diligent with your possessions and not having faith that God provides so that you will have possessions. One church closed up once, they had a million dollars in their deferred fund. And they closed up because they just lost the will to live. They lost the will to give the gospel. And someone said, you know, you could have lasted years. Why didn't, you spend, why didn't you put the million dollars into action in that rainy day fund? And one of the guys, as he's locking the door for the last time, he said, true story, he said, I guess it didn't rain hard enough. So there's a fine line between a rainy day fund and hoarding. Malachi 3.10 says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And therefore, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. What I love about this passage is it reminds us that God is the great provider. He's the one who gives. If he's compelling you to give or if he's asking us to give into what he's doing, know that he's going to keep on giving. Now I'm not saying that we should be reckless. I'm not saying that we should uh, uh, give everything and hope that God's going to replace that. That's that's reckless. What I'm saying is just have a spirit of giving. We'll talk about some of the ramifications of that in just a moment. When we give, we want to give with faith that God is going to use this to increase his kingdom work. Now, you may notice each Sunday we do an offering. So let's talk about the offering for a minute. If you're a guest this week, we do not expect you to give. We expect you to just be our guest today there is a reason why we ask you to give into what God is doing here. And there's some really practical reasons. Number one, we've said this before, your, your tithes, uh, they keep the lights going. They keep, they keep the electricity for the instruments. They keep everything going. So there's a practical aspect about that. that if you believe in the ministry, then if you're a regular tender, you, you want to give to it. You realize God is, God is, what can God do with this? You see, we could be like, you need to give. If you're sitting in here today, you need, listen, no, 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 that's not, that's not at all what what we'll ever say. Say is, listen, we believe God is moving, and when we give, we need to give in faith that, God, you are going to do something incredible with this, and I have the opportunity to partner with you and what you're doing. Now, an offering can be divided up into two sections. We have what we call tithe, and what I'd say is an over-the-above offering. A tithe, we find in Scripture, is 10% of your income. We see this in the Old Testament with the Levites. Uh, People were to give 10% to the religious leaders so they can dedicate their full-time to religious duties. And we see this uh, aspect repeated again uh, in the New Testament where um, we see Jesus affirming or alluding to affirming the tithe, but we also see many Scriptures where uh, many people took a livelihood so that they can be full-time ministers. Uh, We see Paul didn't. Paul decided he didn't want to do that. He wanted to be a tent maker. So there's freedom in what uh, ministers of the word can do. But beyond that, uh, we want to see God move uh, through our tithes. We want to see God move. We want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to see our city changed. But some people want to give to a specific cause. What if, though, we said, you know what? What if everybody here is like, well, why don't we just give our money every week to the kids' ministry? Why don't we just write kids' ministry? And that's, that's, that's what we'll give every week. You know, the kids' ministry would thrive in the short term, but in the long term, as we neglect the other things of the overall ministry, the church and kids' ministry would depreciate. You see, this is what's great about just giving to the overall ministry. When we give to the overall ministry, we give to what's going on as a whole in our church. We move together. We move together in what God is doing. A destructive tendency can go into our mind with this, is thinking about what is a church? You see, if you were to ask most people what a church is today, they'd say, oh, it's that building over there. There's a church here, there's a church there, there's a church on Pershing and 60th, right? But if you look in the New Testament, if you look in today's passage, Acts 2.44, and they believed and were together, The church wouldn't exist if they weren't coming together. But today, that's not necessarily required. People can come down down Pershing and 60th, point at our church building, even when it's empty, and say, look, it's a church. You see, again, I'm not against church buildings or programs or any of those things, but what can seep into our thinking and can be destructive is our attendance, us coming together, is not required to be a church. But if you look in Acts, coming together and being a contributing body together is essential Without it, they are not at church. Listen, our attendance matters. If you're a regular tender, your tender should not be passive, looking to consume a message, sing a little, go home. Rather, it should be intentional. That through these doors, every week we have people that are coming in here that never, have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're just wanting to meet somebody. They're wanting to connect with that somebody. And this may be their only shot. There's so much consuming us and conspiring against us to meet together. Our schedules may seem full. Our work schedules may conspire us to meet together on a Sunday morning. Some of us just maybe want to sleep in. Maybe we have hobbies. I don't know what it is, but we know what conspires against us to getting with the Lord and meeting together. But listen, Hebrews 10.25 says this, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. And in all the more as you see, the day is drawing near the reason the church is not to neglect meeting together because we are the church and when we become passive we make the building our definition not the people in the building meeting together listen the church has a blueprint when we meet together it's not that we just do whatever we want we've met together we believe that's it no 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 we we there's a blueprint blueprint in scripture we see that we're to work together within our spiritual giftedness we see that in first corinthians and romans and ephesians we also see how church structure Uh, through uh, elders and deacons. We see that in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. So there is a blueprint to the institution of the church. But listen, without us meeting together and believing together and working together, there is no church. There may be a building, but there is no church. This is so vital. The reason why we're a church isn't for us completely, we, we should get something out of it. We should grow, right? but it's also for those that we want to connect into our body. We are not an exclusive body. We want to include people into the body. And so when we are being, when we're not being passive, when we're being direct with why we are attending, we will look for those to include. Follow this with me. And if you're a guest this morning, this may be, this may have been your experience, but you're driving, you're, you're, you're driving in your car, you park in the parking lot, you get out of your car and immediately you're going to the building like, okay, Am I going in the right door? And the minute you get in the door, you, you, you look around. You know, like when you go into a building and you're just, it's like every airport you go into or every uh, uh, supermarket you go into for the first time, you're just like, ooh. You're just kind of overwhelmed. You're overwhelmed by, by all, everything that you're seeing for the first time. And luckily here we have greeters and so our greeters will lead you to to inside the sanctuary or you can get a cup of coffee whatever and you sit down and then you just hold on like, okay, what is going to happen the rest of this time, okay? And so if we are not looking to connect, this can be one of the most anxious moments of somebody's week. Our core value is we want this to be the most hospitable moment of a person's week. We want them to experience the most hospitable community of somebody's week, not the most anxious time that I'm just really wrestling if I'm going to come back. And a way to get rid of that anxiety is that those of you that are regular attenders, being intentional and in making those who are guests feel welcome. When we do not meet together, when our attendance or even being intentional is not on our radar, we rob ourselves of connecting with new people and sharing Jesus. Now I get it when life happens or there's things going on. I'm not saying, oh, you must have perfect church. attendance. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. This is a heart thing. If you're just going to be compliant, you're going to hate every moment of this. But know that God wants to work through you. And being a community, that's the most hospitable community of, of your week and somebody else's week. One more thing I want to say before I move on is a church needs to be known for their prayer. I know I've, I've preached on this. We ask you for your time, talent, and treasure. Three T's, but I want to add a P. We need to be known for our prayer. You guys, listen to this. In Acts chapter 4, it says this, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We need this church to reverberate with expectation that God is real, that God can do anything, and that happens when we come in here intentional, that we're not just consuming, but we're contributing. We want this place to shake with expectation and with prayer and worship. So we are contributors, not just consumers. We're to be outrageous in our giving. But secondly, our second subpoint. Healthy community spends time with God and each other. We've hit on that. Look at verse 46. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and just, uh, uh, verse 46, sorry. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. When we spend time with each other, when it's God-centered community, our community will grow. And that's our third sub-point. Our community will grow. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added their number day by day, those who are being saved. So if you want to be together and you are being intentional in your community together, here's something that's going to happen. You're going to grow together. Now, some people are like, well, oh, no, I get nervous about growth, you know, all these, these growth methods. And I get that. Sometimes, listen, if you want to grow out of the storehouse of your talent, people can do that in baseball and football stadiums. But listen, God wants to do a growth in us that is unique to any other institution or gathering in the world. Church should be a place that we want to be together in the expectation that God is going to turn up and do something among us. That people are going to meet Jesus. That we're going to become more like Jesus. The church should be a place of wonder and expectation. But oftentimes the church falls into dry, institutionalized routine. As in the church in Acts met day by day, they saw people accept Jesus and that is what our lives—that's what it's all about, connecting people to Jesus. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, it's, it's easy to ask the question, "Oh man, Andy, you're going to give the gospel again?" And, and you know, it's, it's easy to ask the question, like, "Do we give the gospel too much?" Or listen, no, because I have the expectation that every single day somebody's coming in here and they need to connect and accept Jesus Christ as Savior. But here's the other thing: if you've been in the faith, you should never forget and never not cherish. The gospel. When the gospel, when the good news of Jesus, what He did, He died on the cross, rose from the dead, that He forgives you when you place your faith in Him. When that becomes just dry, like oh, I've been there, heard that, we forget. We forget why we're even meeting. They believed and were together. They just weren't together. When we're just together, we forget why we're a church. We forget what God saved us from, and this is a tragedy. But you know, churches that aren't growing, sometimes they'll say, "Well, you know, we don't grow. We don't see people come to Christ, but we're a deep church." We're deep. We're not like those other big churches that are full of fluff and whatever. We're not this guy or that guy. Listen, I believe in being a deep church, but we don't need to say we're a deep church. That's gonna be evident, right? If I'm trumping our horn that we're a deep church, we're probably not a deep church. You're a deep church because it's self-evident. A church that says they're deep but never sees a person coming to Christ is a church that's puffed up with knowledge and no action. I want the expectation that when people are coming here, they're gonna meet with Jesus. They're gonna be changed and people are going to come and accept Jesus Christ as Savior, and they're going to be changed. Every week is an opportunity to see God turn up, and why would we want to miss this? It's the main event. So a healthy community grows. We are contributors, not just consumers. So here's the bottom line. I just want to throw in some caveats here. We looked at what we are outrageous in our giving, right? We need to meet together. We need to expect to grow together, but I want to look at just some things that are neither here and there, but these are really essential in having healthy community. Number one is this, our foundation is that we need to be gospel advancing that's what jesus told us in matthew 28 go and make disciples baptizing them we need to be gospel advancing whatever we do needs to advance the gospel making followers of christ as jesus has mandated all right that's foundational but let's take a look at three caveats just as operational everyday values as we meet together number one is we must believe anything is possible through christ When we come in here and be like, I don't know if God can do it, our faith is wavering, listen, that is not an attractional community. That's not a community that's rooted in belief. We need to come in here and say, we believe God can do anything through us as scripture has mandated. Again, our belief needs to be in line with scripture. Okay, if I believe, hey, I believe that God can save everybody because we're believing, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I believe that as we see through scripture, we can believe that God can do anything he has mandated through us. We have that expectation. Number two, we must maintain a positive attitude. Listen, your integrity shows forth, your leadership shows forth when you have a positive attitude in a, crummy, in a crummy circumstance. Maintain a positive attitude. Why? Because we have so much to be positive about even in our awful circumstance that if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, your circumstances don't define you. Jesus defines you despite your circumstance. That there's victory in Jesus. That you've been forgiven. That you're gonna be with him forever. And that forever starts now and lasts forever. So we must maintain a positive attitude. I I just added this third one in. We need to laugh a little bit. We need to share life a little bit. I I, want to say this, and and please don't miss this. This this may be even more important than my main point. We need to take God serious and ourselves less serious. You want to see a church that shrinks? Go around and be all pompous. I take myself serious pastor Andy you better call me pastor and then Andy and not Andy and not pastor okay because I'm I'm, we take God serious here no I'm taking myself serious we need to take God serious and ourselves less serious I'm not saying that you know we should be you know just completely care less about what we do or be careless in our words no we need to be serious about that but we need to be less serious about ourselves and more serious about God and we get that backwards often that's a fight that I think we will all struggle with so those three caveats those are bonus for you so what are we to do with this Well, we are to be contributors, not just consumers, so we need to take ownership of the vision of what God is doing here, of our time, talent, and treasure. Well, when we impact God's word, we don't wanna just be somebody who knows the word. We wanna know the person of Jesus Christ. And you can't know Jesus just by knowing things about him. You need to know him personally. Do you have a relationship with almighty God. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, he created you to have a relationship with him. Did you know that? He you were wonderfully and fearfully made in your mother's womb. You were created to know God. The problem is we've sinned. We've done something wrong in our past, in our present, and undoubtedly in our future. And that sin separates us from almighty God. You see, God requires perfection in heaven, and not one of us, including you, including myself, we're not perfect. And so sin separates us from Almighty God. And what people try to do is they try to get to God by religion. They try to get to God by doing good works or to prove themselves. But none of these things will get us to God. In fact, our righteousness is but filthy rags is what Scripture says. And so it requires a miraculous... Uh, a, a miraculous happening. And that miraculous happening is this it's not ourselves, it's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. You see, God came 2,000 years ago as the God man, Jesus Christ, to stand in our place to take the punishment of our sin, to take on God's wrath. Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. He stood in your place, and God saw your sin upon Christ. And Jesus died on the cross. The wrath of God came upon Christ and on the cross he said, it is finished. Jesus Christ died for you. But because he's a perfect, sinless sacrifice, he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead and his resurrection demands now our response. And the question is this, have you placed your full faith in Jesus Christ? Upon Jesus Christ, what he did for you. The Bible says this that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ was risen from the dead, you will be saved. All those who cry out in the name of the Lord will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, that means die spiritually, but have everlasting life. Have you personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus? If you're not sure or you know you haven't, Right now is the time. You might think like, well, let me get things figured out first. No, Today Today's the day of your salvation, Scripture says. That means that you come as you are, but Christ doesn't leave you as you are. He takes you where he is going. So why don't you just pray with me right now? Why, why don't you consider Jesus? Why don't you place your faith and trust in Jesus right now? Uh, this prayer that I'm about to pray isn't going to save you. It's Christ who's already saved you. I'm just helping you communicate to God. So if you want to place your faith and trust with Jesus right now, will you just pray along with me to say, Lord Jesus, I realize I've sinned and I realize I need a Savior. So Lord Jesus, will will you save me? I place my full faith and trust upon you. Thank you for dying on the cross, saving me from my sins. Thank you for raising from the dead. Help me follow you now. I trust you, Jesus jesus name amen if you have placed your faith and trust in jesus right now the bible says you have become a son or daughter of the king you have been forgiven of your sins and know this that once you are held in the grip of god nothing can pluck you from his hand also know this when you place your faith and trust in jesus There's a party in heaven happening right now. Uh, When just one person gives their life to Jesus, the angels rejoice in heaven.
0: As a church, it is our honor to be a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. If you became a Christian today, your next step is baptism. Baptism is when you go public with your faith in Jesus as a symbol of going from an old life into a new one. If you would like to find out more about baptism, all you have to do is go to kenosha.church slash events. Beyond that, if you want to know more about your next steps as a new Christian, all you have to do is go to kenosha.church slash next steps.